quickly to John, John, the 11th chapter. Dr. Abadir, they, they always tease me about taking off my glasses to read. Uh, I, I don't know. I can do it without it, but something about it, I just like to take them off. From the New King James translation, uh, now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him. It's always good to send for Jesus when we're in trouble, isn't it? The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom who you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Watch this. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. Now drop down to verse number 38, if you will. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. If it's not Jesus calling, don't answer, whoever that is. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Watch this, verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You may be seated in the very presence of God. I want to, I want to talk with you for just, just a little while this morning from the subject, God wants some glory. God wants some glory. I, I encourage you to read this chapter in your, in your private meditation. We talked about that in, the, in your private meditation time. But this morning, in the interest of time, I, I want to just particularize on these few verses of the text. It's a very familiar story. It's the story of a man and his friend. The story of Jesus and Lazarus. But I'm, I'm convinced that some of us have missed the point of this story. All right. We've, we, 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 we get enveloped in the fact that God raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh -huh. We're intrigued by the fact that he was in the grave for four days such that Martha, his sister said he's, he's stinking. We we're fascinated by the fact that Jesus walked up to the tomb and literally said, Lazarus, come forth. And he got up and came forth. But I've observed from, from this story that we can get caught, so caught up in the hoopla 
of the miracle that we forget the stated purpose of the event. Now, oftentimes, what God will do, and you understand the reason for, for this event, the Bible says so that God could get some glory. You see, the reason all of these facts took place the purpose was for God to get glory. Now, oftentimes God will God will do some some interesting things so that he can get some glory. God will put you in a situation and it looks bad. It looks bleak. It looks bland, but he does it so that he can get some glory. Let me give you, I see I'm not going to get through this lesson, so let me give you my three points in the beginning so you'll at least know I had an outline. God wants some glory in three ways, Jay. He wants glory through Christ. He wants glory through the church. And then he wants glory through you. John, the, the noted apostle, recorded this monumental incident. And up to this point in John's gospel, Jesus presented himself as the giver of of life to various people. To Nicodemus, he offered eternal life in chapter 3. To the Samaritan woman, he was the water of life in chapter 4. To the nobleman's son, to the lame man, the restoration of life in chapters 4 and 5. To the hungry multitude, he was the bread of life in chapter 6. To the believers in Jerusalem, he was living, uh, rivers of living water. To the blind man in chapters 8 and 9, he was the light of life, and to the sheep who followed him, he was the abundant life in chapter 10. All right. <clears throat> but here in chapter 11, Jesus is life in, in his ultimate expression. He is the resurrection and life. All right. Life after death. Life, think about that. Life after death. The Gospels tell us that Jesus raised others from, from the dead, including the widow's son in Luke 7. I'm going to be where you want me in a minute. And Jairus' daughter in, in Luke 8. These people represent a cross-section of ages and social backgrounds to whom Jesus gave back human life. All of them, including Lazarus, were raised, but eventually they died again. However, Lazarus' story stands out because John uses it as a sign of Jesus' ultimate life-giving power. And as with all of the miracles in this gospel, it glorifies God. If you will, let me, let me paraphrase this text. Right. 
let me give it to you in terminology that you can relate to. The setting is clear. Remember, I'm par paraphrasing. The setting is clear. The, the scene is in Bethany. That suburban town about two miles east of Jerusalem. It's strategically placed on the road to Jericho. The main characters of this event are Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and of course, Jesus. The argument has been made that this is the greatest of our Lord's miracles, and I'm not going to disagree with that. That's not my case. I won't argue that today. But the scene is this. Lazarus is sick. He's in intensive care at Bethany Regional Medical Center. He's probably on a respirator. Uh, his EKG looks bad. His EEJK, help me, Dr. Abadir, his EEJ is, it's not registering brain impulses. And so his family sent for Jesus. They notified Jesus that Lazarus, your friend, your boy is sick. The one you love is sick. Now get this, don't miss this. The Lord did not go out to Walgreens and get a get well card, Kim. And after he dies, he didn't even send a sympathy card. He didn't send flowers. He didn't send a resolution to be read at the funeral. He didn't send money to help out with the burial. He, 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 the Lord didn't even appear on the program to, to, to eulogize or to have some words to say on behalf of his friend. But instead, he stayed away for long days. I'm going somewhere with this. He delayed. He, he waited. He allowed rigor mortis to set up in the body. He allowed all of that to happen, the Bible says, just so he could get some glory. It's abundantly clear that God navigates the circumstances of your life as well as my life. So he can get some glory. The story of Lazarus helps me to put my pains in, into proper perspective. It helps me to make sense out of some of my suffering. All right. It helps me to give reason and rationale to the rough places in my life. All right. And God allows this to happen oftentimes just so he can get some glory. All right. All right. Now, you need to understand that the word glory denotes honor and renown and praise. Uh -huh. God divide, displays his divine attributes and perfections so that he can get some glory. As a matter of fact, when God lets things get bad enough, not only will he get glory, but he'll get Shekinah glory, which is glory of the highest kind. You see, God can get glory out of the problems that we have. He can get a hallelujah out of your heartbreaks. He can get a shout out of your suffering. He can get a testimony out of your troubles. He can get praise out of your pain. And he can get gloom out of your glory. Or glory out of your gloom, rather. We've been, had, we've been led to believe that, that glory 
is not only associated with good times. We've been led to believe that all we have to do is cry out to God and he, he acts like some kind of cosmic bellhop that comes rushing and takes away all of our problems. But I came to tell you this morning that oftentimes God will wait. God will delay. God will allow things to look bad. God will allow things to get bad. God will allow your life to get desperate all so he can get some glory. You see, God, when you call him, like Mary and Martha called him, he could, he could come instantly. You see, God can come quicker than right now and sooner than in a hurry. He can go and be where he's going before he gets where he's going and still be where he's been. That's the kind of God that we serve. But we've got to learn to contend with the calendar of the creator. See, it's not, God is not motivated by your Rolex or my Timex. God is not motivated by your timetable of life. We've got to learn to contend with the calendar of the creator. In other words, you've got to learn how to wait on the Lord. Isaiah said it best in Isaiah 40 and 31, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings with, like, uh, with wings like eagles and, and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. In other words, God will deliver if you just don't give up. Don't give up on God. Job said in 14, 14, of all the days of my appointed time, he said, I'll wait on my change to come. Change is coming if you just hold on to God's unchanging hands because he's got you wrapped in the grip of his grace all you've got to do is just hang in there do what you need to do because God is going to do what he needs to do oftentimes God has us in the waiting room of life just so he can show up and show out so he can get some glory you see we've been divinely designed so that we can not only know about the glory of God but we can see the glory of God Sometimes, you know how we are, sometimes we have to see stuff. And so when we see the majestic mountains that have been kissed with ice and capped with snow, we ought to give God some glory. When we see the lofty pine trees with their limbs and branches pointing towards the heavens, we ought to give God some glory. Uh, when we see the clouds moving around with an automatic transmission, so to speak, packed with water droplets, Program to fall and quench the thirst of a, of a parched earth. We ought to give God some glory. When we see the in, in, in this incandescent scars, stars twinkling like white diamonds on black velvet in the sky, we ought to give God some glory. When we see how God has brought you from nowhere to somewhere. You do know we didn't always have it like this. You do know that we had some struggles before in our lives. You do know that we had some hard times in our lives. But God has brought us from there to here. We ought to give him some glory. You see, God allows us to see that he's a generous God. That's why the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave, and so he he gives us two eyes for observation and gives us two ears for information and two nostrils for inhalation and two lips for conversation and two legs for transportation and two feet for foundation. I tell you, he's a 
He's a generous God. So, and so you ought to give him some glory. You ought to, you ought to take your two eyes and, and look into the word of God. You ought to take your two feet and walk into the house of God. You ought to take at least one of your hands and reach down and lift somebody up. You ought to take two lips and tell somebody about the goodness of God. You ought to take two hands and clap for God every now and then. Just to show him, just to show him some glory. I'm almost done, but, but, I, but I just have to talk about the glory of God. Sometimes God has to let your stuff get bad. Yeah, he has to let you sometimes get fired from your job. Sometimes he has to let your house go into foreclosure. Sometimes he has to let you go through a bad relationship or a bitter divorce. Sometimes he has to let one of your children act a stone fool. Sometimes he has to let you get sick and looks like you're going to die. Sometimes he has to let your checkbook look like a wreck book. Sometimes he has to let you get aggravated and throw up your hands and say, what's the use? But God, but God. You see, he waits. He waits until the last day sometimes. Sometimes he waits till the last hour. Sometimes he'll even wait till the last minute just so he can get some glory. You see, sometimes things look bad, but God knows what he's doing. You see, it looked bad when the old Moses and the children of Israel came up to the Red Sea and they had uh, mountains on either side and Pharaoh's army behind them and all this water in front of them. But God delivered them on dry land. Looked bad when Daniel was in the lion's den facing those, those, those angry, hungry lions. But God caused the lions to get locked jaw and, 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 and delivered David, uh, Daniel rather. God will do what's necessary for him to get some glory. You see, God whispers to us sometimes saying, you're my children, and I want you to do right, and I love you, and all of that. But sometimes, Terry, we don't heed that. So, so his whispering doesn't work. So sometimes he has to shout, Sister Clara, and he has to shout by having things get our attention so that we know that we're dependent upon him. Look bad when two preachers, Paul and Silas, were thrown in a Philippian jail, and they didn't have nothing but a song and a prayer. God got in that prayer and with so much power that it shook the ground and shook the jail cells open. All so he could get some glory. Look bad when they led Jesus up that hill called Calvary. Hung him on that old rugged cross. Nailed his hands and nailed his feet. Pierced him in the side. Buried him on a barred tomb. They thought it was bad Friday, but it turned out to be good Friday because early Sunday morning, he got up and he got the glory. He got up with all power in his hands. Not my hands, but his hands. Not your hands, but his hands. Not the doctor's hands, but his hands. Not even Trump's hands, but his hands. All power in his hands. So, and so I'm closing, but we got to learn and, 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 and 
And maybe me or Brother Miles will preach the rest of this one Sunday, but God wants glory. He wants it through Christ. The same Christ who came and lived and died, buried in a borrowed tomb, walked into town, rode into town on a borrowed mule one day, born in a borrowed stable, died for our sins, rose for our salvation. The church that is the vehicle that will take us from earth to glory. He wants glory through the church. But then, he, uh, through Christ rather, he wants glory through the church. And some people say, I don't need the church. But you can't have Christ without his church. It's just like wanting kids without a parent. Every child has a parent. We have to have the church. So the church is the instrument where we can serve sacrificially. That's one of the ways that we can serve sacrificially to God. We can give of our all, of our time, of our abilities, of our resources. And the church is a vehicle for which we funnel many times. We can do other good things, but Christ has established his church. And so we give him glory through the church. But then finally, we give God glory through us. What am I willing to sacrifice? For one who has given so much to me. When I was down and out. When I didn't know which way to turn. God blessed me. You know why I know he's blessed you? All you have to do is do this. That's all you got to do. If you got life and breath, God has blessed you. Why would I not give back to a God? Who has given so much to me. All you got to do is look at your life. Catalog and chronicle your life from your early age to now. You'll see, you don't have time to see all the blessings that God has given you. You didn't always drive the car that you drive. You didn't always live in the house that you live. You didn't always wear the clothes that you wear. You didn't always have the family that you have. God has blessed you. We ought to bless him. So give God some. He's going to get it. Wouldn't it be much better if we gave it to him willingly? Yeah. I told you before about the car I had way back in the day. I had the car, and it was a pretty car. Peter was a pretty car, and I bought it. I, I just wanted it. And things started happening. You know? The transmission, when I got the transmission, fixed the water pump, when I the water pump got fixed, got, get the starter went. You know, just one thing after another. And you know what I did? I sacrificed Stephanie, given to God to get that car. And God said, I'll get your attention. I'm going to get mine one way or the other. You may not give it to me, but it's, it's going to leave. And so our service, our life is that way. Give it to God. and He's got all these blessings locked up for us. All we have to do, Hollis, is just give him ours. He's got more blessings than we could ever imagine. We got a little shovel here that we're shoveling to God, and God got this great big shovel. And his shovel is bigger now, so he's going to give us much more than we could ever give him. But he's asked to seek me first. Matthew 6.33. He says, seek me first. Not second, third, fourth. Seek me first. And then he says, all this other stuff. I'll I, I, I take care of it. You just, you just... Get your priorities straight. 
I'm done. I'm done. I know some people already told me they got to leave early, so I'm done. But, 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 but give God some glory because he wants some glory. That's what he wants. He wants some glory, so give him some glory. And don't start. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Don't start. Don't let this fall on deaf ears when you walk out the door and you forgot. You don't even remember. It's not about me. It's about the word of God. And so if you just internalize God's word for your life, it'll bless you. If you're not a member of the family of God, you come through his plan. He has a plan of salvation that we hear his word, that we believe it with all of our heart. That belief is called faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse number, number 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's a matter of impossibility to please God without this, this unquestioned belief in God. And it's an active belief that will cause us to do some things. What will it cause us to do? It will cause us to change those things that we're doing that, that are contrary to his will and start doing those things that are consistent with his will. That change is called repentance. And then we have to be courageous, bold enough to openly acknowledge that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God and then be willing to go into water baptism. It's a burial. Christ lived, died, buried in Joseph's new tomb and rose again the third day. We live in this crazy world that we live in. We die to sin. We're buried in the watery grave of baptism. And we, walk to, to, we rise to walk a new spiritual life. That's God's plan. It's not my plan. It's not even my, It's God's plan. And when we follow God's plan, it always works out. Yeah. Maybe you're here today and you just need prayer. You know, the Bible still says the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much. We can gain a lot through prayer. I'm a pr God is a prayer answering God, too. He's a prayer answering God. So when we pray sincerely and earnestly to God, he will always answer. Now, 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 don't get this mixed up. He may not answer exactly when you want to answer. The Bible says you have not because you ask amiss. Sometimes we ask amiss. We ask for crazy things sometimes. Man used to tell me when I was a little boy, said, son, you're crying for bread and you got a loaf under each arm. That's what we do sometimes. You know, we, 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 we pray for money and don't want to work a job. I'm just saying, you know, we pray for a lot of things that we don't do our part to do. So if you're standing in the need of prayer for any reason, we have some response cards here that we can get to you. You can come down and fill out a response card. But God is a great God. He's a good God. He's an awesome God but he wants some glory. Give him your glory as together we stand and sing for the song of encouragement.